I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 24th, Virginia, with a two-game winning streak. Can you call it two games a winning streak? Anyway, the Cavaliers are 5-2 and two on the season, 3-1 and one in the ACC, control their own destiny in the Coastal Division. It's I, I don't even know what, uh, what to do with myself. Um, and at the same time, basketball is about to start, um, which is normally my busy season, but <laughs> I'm kind of used to people not so much thinking about football anymore at this point, so it's kind of weird for, for, for everybody to be sort of plugged in. Uh, we will talk about both of those things, and that there's also some sort of fifth side of the ball conversation that we're going to have that I honestly do not remember at this point. Um, but before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. Up in Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show as always. How are you, my friend? <laughs> As always, nice. I'm just a simple Virginia fan, enjoying all the new Virginia fans I have found over the last couple of weeks. Who Dave's on the board, at Who Dave's on Twitter. And uh, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber, also on the show. How are you, my friend? I'll uh, open with my Twitter handle, at Justin underscore Ferber. And uh, I also would like to open up with a couple of quotes. Oh, God. Um, first, they're both about the same person. Uh, can't get enough of this pairing at the moment. Daniel Jones is a good-sized, refined pocket passer who has played under the tutelage of David Cutcliffe in college. Sounds like Eli. The Giants love Eli. And that was in CBS's mock draft where he was going number two overall to the Giants. And this quote from Juan Thornhill on the same player, I don't know if we pick on him. I feel like he just picks on himself, honestly. He definitely throws a lot of picks all the time. I don't know what it is, but I could see him. And if I could see him, I would tell him thank you. And we can now start the podcast. Wow. <laughs> Cavs Corner, also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Ferber, you know, if you wanted to do like a whole little thing, you could have just told me and I could have like set you up for that. And it wouldn't have been so Oh, no, like, I thought I'd just bring it on you. Make, make it be super duper awkward. That's fun. Awkward can be fun. It does kind of sound like Eli. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The new version. Yeah, for sure. So, Sounds like the one that I know. So uh, to to Ferber's uh, unplanned point, um, I guess, or uncommunicated point, Virginia goes down to Durham um, looking for a soul to steal um, and finds success again against Daniel Jones. Who would have thought? Um, it's, it is sort of eerie to me that he continues to be just the, like trash can juice against UVA. Um, I, I don't get – like it doesn't make – it just really – it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, man, he's it, it, Bronco Mendenhall has his number. Um, I don't know in the big scheme of things if Virginia wins that game if they don't get those two interceptions. But sure enough, man, he, even once he started to play well, Virginia sort of still came back and 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 got him. Um, the win, I thought, because of the way they started, and then because of the way they sort of um, shut that thing down once it looked like it was about to get serious. I think Dave actually sent a text that said, this is not good. And then at like, by the time I saw the text that the situation had cleared itself, it was like the storm was gone. Uh, Dave, what in, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about Duke, uh, but give me some, some takeaways, some impressions. Are you ready to believe? I think is the question I'm going to be asking you and Ferber tonight. Are you ready to finally believe? Am I, I've been believing for like 20 years. No, you haven't. No, 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 no. Because who, who did you pick to win the game last week, Dave? Virginia, 21-20. Okay, 21-20. Yeah. You didn't pick it 28-14, yeah. and you were no, pivoting no, no, and hawing no. the whole time you were yeah. getting there. No, I was just joking. It, it was, yeah, I mean, that was as impressive to me as the Miami win, just because 
when you're when you're dealing with the emotions of a big win at home, having to travel to a place that doesn't bring you much juice. You got to bring your own. Um, playing against a team that supposedly has a very good defense and an elite quarterback, and the way Virginia beat them was running the ball right up the middle, essentially, um, and shutting down that quarterback. Not until not until they kind of abandoned the passing game and turned Daniel Jones into a a running quarterback did they really have much success. So, um, other than the one long touchdowns, for me it was pretty impressive. I, I think the single the single thing that stood out to me most was the way the defense was able to shut, you know, Duke, we talked about it last week, Duke really used the running game and, and kind of run sets to set up their passing game. But Virginia came out in that two-man, you know, two-down lineman nickel look and shut down their running game from the get-go. So being able to do that and have some versatility in the backside really made it kind of, you know, made it difficult for, uh, for Jones to read the defense and allow Bronco to play around with them and still stop the run. So, you know, a- another ridiculously good effort from the defense. What's that? Like three games now in the ACC below 16 points. Um, that's good. What do you think, Ferber? What do you, are you ready to believe? Yeah. I mean, I, this was kind of a show me game in the sense that like Dave said, I think in some ways it was more impressive just because, you know, you had the built-in element of of them having just won a big game and then having to go on the road and win against a team that was playing pretty well coming in. They were, you know, five and one or whatever it was. So, you know, there was a lot of potential there for a regression. Um, and the offense against Miami, you know, played a pretty mediocre game except for maybe a few aspects of the running game. So it was good to see them play a more complete game against Duke. And obviously Bryce got back to kind of being Bryce and, and to be quite honest with you, you might not even know which Bryce I'm talking about because they were both so good. Um, but Bryce Perkins, obviously, you know, he made a few plays with his legs early to extend plays and get in the end zone and then obviously made the big touchdown late. But I was impressed with the defense, like Dave said. Uh, they do kind of got away from the run, really. I mean, um, once they got behind, Daniel Jones was basically their running threat, right? I mean, he had a few decent runs. Um but, you know, on the offensive side of the ball, UVA kind of continued with the same recipe, right, which is move the sticks with Zacchaeus in the running game and then just try to finish the drives. And I think there's still some work to be done as far as, you know, finishing the drives. And, and that could come back to haunt them at some point if they don't, you know, punch some of those in. Um, but, you know, they got three out of five or whatever it was, you know, trips down there into the end zone. So that's not terrible. Um, as far as believing in the team, you know, uh, I was trying to compare it to last year, and they started 5-1 and one last year, but it didn't really feel the same. And I think a lot of that is because of the schedule. Um, last year was, you know, we kind of knew that they were winning in the weakest part of their schedule. And eventually, you know, the the clock was going to strike midnight. They had that stretch at the end of the year where they had to play Georgia Tech and then at Louisville, at Miami, and then Tech at home. So um, obviously we knew that that was going to be a tough stretch for them to continue to win. Um, but this year they don't really have that stretch or that, or at least it doesn't look like that now. So I think it's okay to believe, I mean, obviously, you know, I think Bronco does a really good job of kind of like resetting the expectations every week and in his press conference and with the team, just kind of, you know, getting them to focus on the next opponent and making sure that, you know, the fans understand that, you know, they the progress is being made. It's tangible. You can see it. Um, the momentum is building, but it's not a finished product yet. And, um, you know, there's still hills to climb. So 
I mean, we, we've seen two really good performances back-to-back against good teams as touchdown underdogs, and now they're going to have to handle being a favorite over the next few weeks. That's a good point. I feel like what's funny is that it does feel like, right, that the that the um, that these two games have been really good performances. And at the same time, you can look at it and find plenty of warts. You know, offensively, I feel like they got to get more out of the downfield passing game. It can't be, um, you know, sort of everything. Everything can't just live in the the short to intermediate. You know what I mean? Like they have to be able to take some shots. Um, you know, Bryce has just not been as as clean. On those throws, you know, I'm. It's funny there was there was at least one part. I want to say it was like in the third quarter where I was like sitting there and thinking, you know, I really missed the diamond. Yeah, I missed the diamonds, and I could with without Je in the game, I thought, you know, what you could do a lot more with um, Keir and um, and and Atkins on the on the field at the same time. Um, you know, you don't have to. Um, you know, you, you don't have to bring in Ryan Soboda and play him at tight end overload one side. You know what I mean? Just to just to get a good uh, good bit of run, and I I thought they did a pretty good job considering they didn't have Ellis for the first time all year. Um, but there are definitely some warts on the offensive side. Defensively, I still thought um, there were a couple of moments where um, Jones is scrambling. I mean, look, you can't take away everything. I mean, you're playing great. You're you're, you're doing playing great coverage on the field. You're um, I thought, conti- you know, they were doing a good job of keeping, um, you know, keeping things in check. Jones getting out and scrambling a little bit. I was actually a little bit, a um, little bit curious as to why he doesn't do more of that, um, because it seemed to be something that that Duke could really kind of make some hay out of. Uh, but overall, I mean, look, it was, it's they're two really good performances. I, I think Ferber's point about Bronco resetting the expectations each week is spot on. I think when you have a culture that sort of demands that you don't. That you that you do everything the same, regard no matter what, it does sort of. Um, if you're doing it right, it does sort of invite this sort of mindset, which is that it sort of doesn't matter who you're playing, that you are always sort of just focused on doing your job, and that's really the only thing that matters. Um, and as they go into this game, because Carolina is a talented team that just has, you know, we talk about warts. I mean, you know, I mean they they got they got a lot of them. Um, you know, it's not. Um, it's it's just one of those things. I think where Virginia does a good job of sort of not having like, like it's not a long visit when like you're not in your you're not in your excitement too long, right? I mean, like yeah, they got excited about the Miami game. He gave them a night, and then it was really quickly back to work and focusing on 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 Duke. I feel like as they go forward with this game, this this team is especially dangerous because they're one in five, and at the same time they have talent that's not one in five. And you guys have been peppering the text thread all week with nothing but like now I don't call it hand-wringing because it's not hand-wringing you're being honest about what you see from this Carolina team I don't know which of you said it Uh, I definitely stole it and said it on radio tonight Um, but the idea that like it feels like this is one of those like Mike London late Mike London era teams with uh, before the talent fell off where they they have too much talent for you to overlook them but they have they had there's just this complete lack of consistency Dave, as you looked at Carolina and you started not just getting ready for this podcast, but just you know getting ready for the weekend, what's your biggest concern with them? Is it that their defense is better than than you might expect? Is it that their offense, um, because it's so screen oriented, can put you in a bind if they catch you in the wrong sort of look? What what are your concerns about this game this weekend? I mean, uh, my biggest concern is just the law of averages, man. Like this team has gotten like every weird break you can get this whole season. And 
I'll say this. If you're a fan listening to this and you've only seen Carolina's record or the final scores, and you should really go watch them play. I mean, it's a really – I think they're better than they were last year. Um, you know, obviously they've had some suspensions that have made things difficult. But their running game is – you know, their offensive line's pretty good. Their running game is explosive at, at times. They've got two backs that can take it all the way. Um, their passing game's a work in progress, but it's – as we've seen with Fedora's offense, like, you know, if they're running the ball, you are get you one and one, one on one on the outside, which is kind of what they try to do. They can create problems. So it's definitely a game where, you know, Virginia's going to have to play clean and come in with the same motivation we've seen the past few weeks. Um, otherwise, you know, Carolina's a team who could get a little momentum and start believing and, and run away and hide. So I mean, the exact opposite can happen because we haven't seen that. But, you know, you're right. I think that Mike London thing is it's what we've seen for years. It's a team that's not playing up to the, you know, to the level of the talent on it. Um, you know, the, the sum of whatever, whatever the quote is. But, um, yeah, they do concern me. But my number one concern would just be their defense is a little spotty. They can get after the passer. So I think you know, there's going to be a couple of times where Bryce has a has some has some pressure and how he handles that. We need more what we saw against Duke when they managed to get pressure versus what we saw against Miami. Um, you know, I think Virginia plays clean. They should win it, but it's no gimme. You know, I don't know that we've played a team that's better than this team at, at one in five or whatever the record is. What about you, Ferber? As you have, you you already sent me the previews, spoiler alert. But you you obviously did a lot of research on Carolina for for various pieces and whatnot. It seems like to me as I look at Carolina, that this is a game that you're, you're sort of concerned about, and at this, not you personally, but the universal you. You're concerned about it, but at the same time, you still feel like Virginia should win comfortably because for the first time in a long time, Virginia is the team that has its stuff together. Give me, give me some thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a reason right now to pick against them. Um, you know, Carolina's worse. They're less consistent. Um, their defense is worse. Their passing game is probably worse. Um, their running game might be a little better, actually, than than I thought. Um, probably not as good as UVA's or maybe around the same. UVA's kind of inconsistent with the running game sometimes, but Carolina has a couple of guys that can get out and make plays. I mean, UVA saw last year, they dominated that game. I mean, Carolina had no business being in that game, um, and UVA gave up two long runs. One was, I think, 56 yards to the 11, which set up a touchdown that made it 14 to 10 to 7, 10 to 7. And then on their next drive, they hit a 47 yard touchdown run. Right. And they scored 14 points in the game. They didn't get anything else going really the rest of the day um, until they got the ball late after a fumble. So, I mean, I could see it kind of playing out like that defensively where UVA has another great effort uh, defensively and really shuts them down. I guess the, the concern would be uh, home run plays, uh, I mean, Carolina's offense is basically like if they don't get those explosive plays, it's really hard for them to to kind of make hay offensively, or at least that's how it looks to me. Um, if you go back and like look at the Tech game, for example, they lost 22 to 19. They scored 19 points, but I think they were in the red zone like five or six times. Um, and they were getting these explosive plays, but they weren't going for touchdowns. And then after that, they would just stall out. They couldn't get anything going from there. Um, but when those big plays go for touchdowns, like in the pick game, and they score 30, 38 points, you know, they can they can make some stuff happen. So they're just going to have to be defense, you know, 
sharp defensively, don't allow the big plays, kind of try to make them beat you by sustaining drives. I don't I don't know if North Carolina can do that. Um, and I think that would be kind of the recipe for success. Uh, you know, Carolina also, Fedora, we've seen in the past, has a tendency to break out trick plays. Um, you know, he's done all kinds of weird stuff against UVA. He's gone for onside kicks. He's faked punts out of his own end zone. He's done wide receiver passes, you know, all kinds of stuff. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to pull some of that out on Saturday. And we saw UVA get, you know, bitten by a trick play on Saturday against Duke. So, um, you know, something to kind of keep an eye out on. But right now, UVA is the better team. And another thing is UVA is playing at home uh, where they've been dominant this year, really. I mean, they've given up, what, like two, uh, one offensive touchdown all season, and it was late in the Miami game. Um, if they play like that against North Carolina, North Carolina will not win. Ooh, that's a nice definitive. I like definitive statements. I would, yeah. I, hold on, Dave. I, I want to say, for me, if Jordan Ellis can't go, and I – it's funny how like this thing flipped, right? Monday it was Ellis was going to be good, but we didn't know about Blunt. And then today it was Blunt's going to be good, but we don't know about Ellis. If Ellis is not able to play, and you get a good dose of PK and, and Lamont, um, does that change things? It doesn't for me. I, I I'm I'm still going to predict Virginia regardless of whether or not Je plays, because um, I kind of think PK has a really bright future, and I'm real I'm actually really excited to see him have, have an opportunity. If this was they're getting ready to go play NC State. I'd be a little bit, you know, I'm, you know, I probably want JE in there. But given the the sort of situation as it stands, I'm I'm cool with it. You know, with this being the game where PK sort of, um, you know, drives for a while. Answer one question for me, and we'll get to predictions. Dave, what what are your feelings about the running back situation, and are you good if JE doesn't play much? I mean, I'm not good. I'll deal with it. Like I'd rather him get healthy if if he's kind of borderline, than push it against Carolina. Um, you know, I'd rather. The, my my concern is there's been some talk, and I haven't seen it that you know maybe that PK has you know had some fumbling issues in practice, and that's what's held him back. I don't know if that's valid or not, but I've seen a couple people say it. Um, it's going to be wet at least at the beginning of the game. So for that reason, like, you know, Jordan, if anything, has proved he's pretty good holding on to the ball. Um, I don't think you can be comfortable not having a guy who means as much to a team as Jordan not playing. Um, but it's not a, you know, I, I do believe in PK. You guys know that. Like, I think I wish he was getting more carries now. And maybe a, a game like this is why he maybe should have gotten some more carries before now. Um, because, you know, the running backs get hit a lot. So. I'll deal with it. I'm not good with it, but but I think you know there are worse games to have that problem in. All right, talk to me about this weekend. I guess actually, wait, pause, go back a step. You were getting ready to say something before I started talking. What were you getting ready to say? Oh yeah, I was going. I think we'd be amiss if we didn't. You know, if you talk about Carolina, like the other thing they have, you know, we saw how how big of a factor it was for Virginia at Duke, but Carolina's return game is really good. Um, Virginia hasn't really. Virginia's kind of dominated the special team returns the last few weeks. Uh, Newsom can get up and go. Um, so Virginia's going to have to, you know, a team who's dealing with injuries and playing some new guys on special teams, their coverage is going to have to be up to par. We're going to need to see a little more consistent game from Coleman if he needs to punt because Newsom can change the game in a hurry. All right, now give me your predictions. In, the, oh, wait, in preseason, Dave, you had Virginia winning this. No, Carolina winning this. No, heck, Virginia won. Okay, 38, that is it. 18. Yeah, 38-18. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, now, I mean, I still think Virginia's going to win. Um, Virginia's 4-0 against the spread at home. The spread right now is sitting around 9, 9.5. I'm a little apprehensive of having watched Carolina. I still think Virginia's going to win, but I'm going to give Carolina the benefit of the doubt. They're the first team to keep Virginia from covering the spread. Um, I think weather will play a little bit of a factor early. So I'm going to go – I'm going to drop the score a little bit. I'm going to go Virginia 31, Carolina 24. Late touchdown just to make it interesting. Um, Ferber, in the preseason, you had Carolina – oh, God, I can't re- – What do you think – do you remember? Because I, I think it says UVA 28-20. Yeah, I definitely didn't have Carolina winning. Um, I don't remember what the exact score is. But, yeah, I mean, honestly um, – it's funny, like, you know, you build up to these games throughout the season, right? And, you know, the same thing can be said right now about Pitt and Liberty. They're coming up. And right now it's like, well, those are teams that UVA can beat at home especially. And then the game will come around and you start looking at the team and with the talent that they have and good things they've done. And you kind of say, uh, <laughs> like, it's not a sure thing like I thought it was. And for UVA, there's still no sure things. I mean, they're not that far along in the development. But, um this isn't a game that I'm going to pick UVA to lose at home, right? I think the the worry is a letdown performance, and like Dave said, everything kind of comes together for Carolina, and they put something together that they haven't been able to do yet, right? Um, play their best game of the season. But I'm not a big believer in teams playing their best game of the like picking teams to play their best game of the season. So um, I think UVA wins this one pretty comfortably, kind of like last week's game. Uh, I'm not really sure how much weather is going to be a factor. If it is, that could definitely change things. I don't really know how, though. I mean, I'm not really sure, like, who that would benefit, if anyone. Um, Carolina, you know, they struggle on third down. Um, you know, they they turn the ball over a, a decent amount, though they haven't really thrown a lot of picks, or Elliott hasn't thrown a lot of picks recently. So we'll see if that becomes a factor, if it's raining or something. But I'm going to go UVA 28, Carolina 13 in a game that UVA pretty much controls throughout the game. All right, that's fair. In the preseason, uh, I had Virginia winning this uh, 41-17. I'm going to stick with that. I, I think they're going to be the crap out of them. Um, and I've been feeling pretty good on this prediction thing, knock on wood, I guess, for the for the natives out there. But I just – I don't know, man. Like, I watch Virginia, and I see a team that knows what it, who it is and how to do things. And then I see, you know, Carolina, and I'm just not really sure. I I, I mean, I, I think they're, they're, they're better than what they put out on the field, but what they put out on the field is what you have to judge them by. And then it, the game is not just a, you know, a, a string of good plays. A string is, the game is a string of quarters. And I don't know if you can – I just don't know if Carolina can put four good quarters together, especially on the road. Um, anything else on the football side before we, um, we wrap up and move on to, to hoops? You guys got anything else? No, it would be, be pretty impressive to wrap up bowl eligibility in October. Yeah. Yeah. Next week we can start talking about bowl games and all kinds of good stuff if they win this one. Yeah. I mean, I have Virginia six and two at this point in the season. I think Brad did too, but and there is a lot of talk <laughs> out there now about, um, you know, the coastal and and all that. Um, I'm not saying people shouldn't get ahead of themselves and think about it. I'm not a big believer in like let's take it one game at a time. The team has to do that. We don't it, as fans it doesn't matter. Um, but you know, I don't think it's as clear a path as people think right now. Um, they don't. I mean, obviously, if they win all their games and they they win the coastal, but um, that's something that we'll just have to keep an eye on during the week. But every UVA fan should be rooting hard for Georgia Tech on Thursday night. 
I don't think that's. I don't think that's. I don't think that's going to be a problem. (laughs) And uh, and they should also be rooting for Boston College against Miami on Friday night. Good point. Um, I do want to say one more thing. Ferber made a really good point earlier in the week. I think it was Ferber that said basically like when Virginia was five and one, we thought BC was trash too. And you know what? That's a really good. That's a really astute point. I think the the difference for me about Virginia right now is this Virginia team just feels different. Like this feels 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 like they're actually building something. And that BC team, in fa- in fairness, was much better than this Carolina team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just they started slow and then they kind of picked up steam right before that. But it was like you know they beat Louisville the week before they beat UVA. Um, and, but it was just kind of like their quarterback situation was all over the place. And it was BC. I mean, like they're just and it was at home. So I think that there was. But I think honestly, now looking back on that result, it makes a lot more sense because I think they were just better than UVA and they made a bunch of huge plays. Like they just had a bunch of you know really long touchdown plays in that game, but yeah, their terrible quarterback looked really good. Right, and I do. And now he's not so terrible. I mean, now he's now he's considered a decent quarterback. But right. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think that that game it seemed weird at the time, and I think the actual like margin was a little bit bigger than it probably should have been. But I think UVA probably wasn't quite focused. I think, and they talked about it at the time. I mean, it was kind of like the the. I don't get the sense with this year's team that bowl eligibility is like the end goal. Um, whereas like last year you could definitely feel that. Right. I mean, it was something that they had been trying to do for so long that it was like, it felt like that was the hump that they needed to get over. Right. And I think when they got that fifth win, they kind of acted like they had it in the bag and then they lost two in a row and had to kind of refocus. But I don't really think that's going to be an issue um, necessarily. I'm just kind of, you kind of do, I think I think fans like the rest of us. I think you know it, there's a tendency to sweat these games that it feels like you have everything to lose and not much to gain against the team that you should beat instead of the ones where like a Duke and Miami where it's like well, you know, hope for the best. If they lose, a lot of people thought they would anyway. Yeah, I, I do think one topic we could talk about on the other podcast that I meant to bring up earlier was um, earlier in the year even is how much that loss in Annapolis is affecting this team right now. Like, you know, did, did that motivate them more in the offseason? Did that make guys like Chris Peace and, you know, and OZ and Jordan be like, nope, that's not happening again. I've tasted the bowl. We're not happy. We're doing better. Um, well, one thing that we do here, and Brad can speak to this as well, like in the press conferences, I remember Brad asking specifically about the pick six on the first drive. And Bronco was like, the, the attitude isn't so defeatist now. Or like hit in the mouth. It's more like that can't happen. Like that's unacceptable, right? And that's kind of like it's more of like a. Bronco has described it more of like a. Instead of disappointment, it's anger, and it manifests itself more positively. Um, and I know Brad's heard him say stuff like that too in in other press conferences. Yeah, the thing too is that Bronco will tell you like that there's an expectation now that that's one play and you move on. But I think the the response that you see on the field from the guys. Bryce Perkins had three first-half interceptions against a top-20 team, and they still came back and won a tight one, right? They started fast, lost a little bit of the, of the mojo. The home team, without obviously without a, like a real home crowd, made a run with a guy who CBS thinks is the top quarterback prospect on the board in the, for the upcoming NFL draft, and they just shut the door. Three t- straight tackles for loss, a 29-yard punt return, and then four plays later, they're, they're in the end zone. It's a two-score game. The thing's over. That's not the team that we've seen before. And I think the way that they deal with adversity is, is a big part of the reason why I say this team has its stuff 
together. And that's why I'm not really worried. I mean, the schedule sort of set up nicely for them. Maybe these next few games aren't as quite as a gimme as maybe we thought they were, but they're nothing like what the, what the schedule was like last year. Um, let's take our first break. Cat's Corner Podcast brought to you tonight by Second String Sports and Stewart's Draft. Second String is all about offering you new and quality used sports equipment. So if you play baseball, softball, football, soccer, Second String has all the gear that you need. The newest bats and gloves and gear from DeMarini, Louisville Slugger, Easton, Rawlings, Wilson, Evo Shield. They're all on the shelves today and ready to go home with you or maybe even straight to the field. Let's say you got something from last season that you don't need anymore. Maybe your kid isn't going to play this sport. They're going to play something new. Go to Second String. They've got you covered no matter what. You can check out what they have to offer at their store just outside Waynesboro. It's 2627 Stewart's Draft Highway. Or you can go to their website right now at secondstringsports.com. That's second with a two. First string quality, first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to second string for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right. ACC Media Day did not go. Not, not <laughs> I don't know why I let it like that. But anyway, I, I'm curious to get the reaction. I mean, look, we, we've all sort of, I don't want to say dreaded the UMBC nonsense and going back to Charlotte and blah, blah, blah. Dave, as you watch the coverage today and as you sort of think about the season that's about to start, where's your mind, what's your, especially now, we'll get to the Braxton Key thing in a second, but in general, um, where's the excitement level uh, as as the season approaches? Well, football's kind of got me distracted. Like, I'm excited um, just because I think this team's going to be really good. Uh, I don't know, not as excited as last year just because, you know, I mean, definitely not as excited as two years ago. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what this team brings. It's a little, it's getting a little weird now. I think back to a conversation I had with my brother, like back when Tony Bennett was hired and you guys probably remember this thing too. Like all I wanted at that point was for Virginia basketball to be every year, you know, competing to make the NCAA tournament and every now and then jumping up and winning the ACC. And that's all I wanted. I, I remember specifically saying, if Virginia can be that, I'll never complain. But here we are. So I'm trying not to get jaded by our success. So I'm, I'm excited to see where they go. But there's a part of me that's like, you know, it doesn't matter how good this team does. This team could go undefeated in the regular season. And it doesn't mean a thing. And that's going to be weird this year. And I don't think I'll get past that until the first game is played. Um, so all this preseason garbage, like I, I'm normally excited to watch media day. I was a little apprehensive today. Um, just cause I knew what questions were coming and it was so, I assume you guys watched it too. Like, it was so awkward. You could tell every reporter in that room wanted to ask the question, but they were asking everything else. And then as soon as the first guy asked it, I think there was two or three more that followed it. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a necessary evil. Like, yeah, you know, I'm over it. I'm just, I'm learning for the season to start and see what this team has. I kind of feel like you can't really fault. You can't really fault. Um, <laughs> I don't want to call them lazy because that's mean. I don't. I can't fault uh, sports writers for asking the obvious question. I, I can fault guys who get on the ACC teleconference and ask Bronco Mendenhall if he's ever had a dual threat quarterback. Um, but I can. I can't really fault you know folks for asking UVA players or coaches about UMBC if it's like you know game eight of the season. Okay, you know. But at this point, it makes sense. I think the thing that that sort of bugs me about it is. It doesn't have to be the only frame through which you view Virginia basketball. Um, at this point, you could almost make a much better sort of column or whatever by framing it as this team lost two dudes who were important, but like they have the core of the team that like 
did all this damage last year, and they have that player that was hurt back. So, why you know what could what could this what could they be this year? Like that there aren't more stories like that, and that people are just so lazy. You know, like that 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 story that ESPN had the other day when it was talking about the. Um, the AP top twenty, the preseason top twenty-five or whatever. Oh, Metcalf. Yeah, oh, I mean, God. like it's it's, and I like I'm not somebody who says like you don't have to like, you know what Virginia does, you know to to do your job, you know like you like you can not like it. Like I'm not a big fan of the triple option, but it doesn't mean like I, you know, for some reason I'm just gonna, you know, when Virginia plays Georgia Tech in a few weeks, I'm just gonna dog them. You know what I'm saying? Like the the whole the whole the whole thing just bugs me. But in general, like it it. I can't blame people for talking about something that is obviously something that is going to be talked about. It's obviously something that seems relevant. Um, if you read my Q and A's, each one of the, these interviews I did with the assistant coaches begins with a conversation about last year. I don't think it's possible for you to talk about this season without at least having a, revisiting, you know, the idea of what happened last year and, and how people responded to it. But to use it as the only thing that frames the season is weird to me. But I thought that the guys did a nice job, especially Kyle. Um, I mean, in typical Kyle fashion, dude just like bears his soul. What about you, Ferber? Jump in here. What 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 are some of your thoughts coming out of the conclusion of um, Operation Basketball down in Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, my biggest conclusion is I'm just like, wow, the basketball season's here, isn't it? Like, it already? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that, Kyle Guy kind of said it best. UVA just has to, if you want to get this UMBC thing behind you, you just got to go play another game. And once the season tips off, obviously we'll hear about it, but we'll have, you know, the 2018, 2019 season to talk about. And obviously there's a lot to talk about on that front. We got, you know, a couple of new guys, a big returning cast. I mean, you know, like you said, the, the UMBC thing is relevant. I don't blame people for asking it. It's one of the biggest stories, on-court stories in college basketball of the offseason and into this new season. So, um, But but there's a reason that question is relevant, right? I mean, UVA went, what was it, 31-3 and three or whatever it was last year. Um, they were, I don't know, inches away from running the table in the ACC, going 18-0. and 0 and then, Yeah, that's and and then winning, yeah, I mean, they were right there. I mean, they were a, a putback away, you know, from doing that or a free throw away or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's – it's a team that is a national title contender that just hasn't been realized, right? I mean, they are a power in the ACC now. Um, that's not really debatable. If Louisville or Syracuse were doing what UVA is doing, people would be talking about the big three teams. And I think people are coming around on that. Um, obviously, the UMBC thing is going to linger, but I think another storyline is, you know, can UVA repeat the ACC championship? Can they get back um, to the top of the standings despite losing, uh, you know, a talented, versatile guard and their best defender? Um and then how do these new guys fit in? So I think there's a lot of other stories out there, and I don't blame people for asking the obvious one, but um, I'm excited to see how some of these other things unfold. And, you know, I think halfway through the season we'll be talking about, you know, what's UVAC going to be and how are they looking in the ACC standings and what's the you know bracket going to look like in Charlotte when they get down there for the ACC tournament and all that stuff. And, and you know, the, the past will fade away as we worry about the present. Yeah, I, I've said it before, and I think I've said it before on the podcast, but the one thing that kind of struck me today 
watching the stuff. Um, pretty sure I've said this before. If that's if last year is going to happen, like can you imagine how potentially destructive that could have been to a program if four of the five starters from that game were no longer at Virginia and you had two new dudes sitting there who really didn't play a role with that team and they were dealing with that question? So I do think, you know, um, Virginia's pretty lucky that to have so many of the guys who went through that back to not only you know, move forward from it, but to deal with it and to keep the rest of the pro the I don't want to say the program would unravel, but to say, you know, make it easier for the other guys who are gonna now play more important roles on that team. Um so yeah, they could can just kinda worse. own it. Yeah. Like, you know, if Ty and Kyle and um you know Jack and had been leaving with Wilkins and a hall and you had, you know, Braxton and Jay and these guys that really didn't play a role dealing with that. I think that had the potential to hurt the season and to drag into it. Well, these guys, uh, like I feel bad for our first opponent. Like <laughs> those guys are going to be thirsty. But then also like, I mean, imagine how, and I'm not trying to sit here and say like UVA has better people than other teams and all that stuff. But I think that there's a lot of other teams that would not handle this as well, right? I mean, it could have a lingering effect. I don't really think it's going to have that effect with these guys because I feel like they have a better attitude about it than a lot of the fans and some of the media have, which is, you know, yeah, it happened. Um, they lost the game. It was one game. But they're, you know, instead of, like, sitting there and, and sulking about it, they're kind of like, you know, they take the jokes, they roll, they laugh it off, they're ready to move on. Um, they seem pretty well adjusted with that, and they should be. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. I mean, it's not, yeah, nobody died. Like, it, it, we can all move on. One thing too, uh, I, I do, go one, ahead, sorry. No, I was gonna say one thing I thought was really cool, and we'll get to Braxton in a second. But Kyle guy being the sort of um, the agent for all millennials in terms of like kids I've covered, nobody's ever sort of encapsulated to me what a like like what a different generation this is because he he went through a lot of stuff and put it all out there because that's the way these kids live their lives like he he didn't go and sulk in a corner and go work on his game he went wrote his thing on Facebook and went and worked on his game like and he said something today about how he's probably going to write something else but one thing I thought was interesting was he basically admitted like yeah I, I think it's still eerie in this place and that he to, to to for a guy to say to be human enough to say I'm I, I like I'll be honest with you I'm not over it like that's what we all would feel and like as a sports writer somebody whose job requires athletes coaches people involved in games to sort of talk about what you know be honest about be forthcoming with information about what they're feeling what they go through what their experience is like I I mean I, my hats off to that kid man like is in all we say we want from athletes and coaches is honesty and all they seem to give us more often than not is coach speak and that whenever you get a, a situation like this where you have a player who is more than willing to sort of bear his soul to you a little bit um and 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 really give you that truth i i think it's remarkable and i and i want to make sure that i shout that out because as like i said as somebody whose livelihood depends on people like Kyle Guy who play the game talking about what it's like to be in that arena and what it's like to lose and be the butt of those jokes, the way that they've handled it. And, and like I said, I, I've asked all three of the assistant coaches about it and they all have really interesting sort of frames on like how they viewed it. You know, Williford locked himself in his house for a couple of weeks. Uh, Soderberg was up at 4am the next day in the lobby, drinking coffee, thinking about what was next. 
talking to Ron Sanchez about taking the Charlotte job. You know, Orlando Vandross was uh, was obviously a support staffer at the time, but I mean, you know, you're you're already sort of thinking about recruiting and, and what's next and where, where where what's going on. I really appreciate that these guys, even amid a a really tight knit sort of like lockdown um, program where they don't do a lot of talking in the media, you know, they don't they don't seem to relish in that. I mean, Tony won an ACC title and didn't even have like a unveiling of the of the banner. You know, like that's just not their speed. But you know what is their speed? Truth, reality. Like that's what these guys. That's that's what I think makes them different. And the fact that they can accept that, I'm really curious to see how it all sort of plays out um, on the floor. I want to get to Braxton Key because we're like 40 minutes into this thing. We still have a whole other segment we got to do after this. So Virginia finally gets the waiver. I want to make sure for the record, this thing did not happen until Monday. So anybody doing victory laps on Monday about some nonsense they reported before that, you know what? Blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. All right? And that's all I'm going to say about that. In, in general, this changes my opinion of Virginia greatly in the sense that now you have chess pieces that work together in a way that I don't think Tony Bennett has ever had. I don't think he's had two pieces that work as well potentially together as Dre and, and Braxton do. Dave, obviously this is great news for the, for the Cavaliers. How great is this news for the Cavaliers in your opinion? It's pretty big. I mean, um, I, I've said before, like, there's a part of me – I would have accepted it, them not not granting the waiver just because I think it does help Virginia next year. If they're, you know, Key's already declared for the draft once, so who knows? This might be our only year to have him too. But in, in a in a year where you're going to have a bunch of talent, adding a guy like that, like a Swiss Army knife guy like Key, um, who can give you so many options um, onto a team that's biggest question mark was what's on the bench, like that's hard to beat. Um, you know, now, now when teams go small, Virginia's not only can go small, but they can go small with different variations. Um, they can go small and still be big, you know, at every position they could do that a little bit last year, but even more so this year, uh, and not sacrifice scoring to do it. So it, it's really exciting for me. And it, plus, you know, I, I do think it gives you some, anytime you can add, add ESPN top 50 player, Regardless of when it happens, that, that's great. But adding it to a team with this much talent that, that needed it, yeah, uh, I don't know what else you could ask for. I mean, the only th- I was thinking about this when I was on uh, Jay James's show tonight. Uh, what 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 piece could Virginia have that would make you think, okay, this roster is even more incredible, right? Like if if what Kihei was a sophomore instead of a freshman and played ACC games, like what? What what could you do to the roster that makes them better? I mean, they they've got a strong core, guys who've been in the system, guys who have you know fought the fights and and, and lived through the, the the success and the failures. You've got guys who are on the verge of taking steps forward. You've got a new piece that obviously is super talented and versatile. Like this roster, I'm not saying it doesn't have holes. I mean, you'd you'd want maybe you know a couple things to be maybe better, and that's the answer. But like realistically. Like it kind of has a little bit of everything. Um, Ferber, as you look at the key waiver and him being eligible and that kind of thing, what's the what's the biggest shift that this news has in terms of your opinion of UVA this season? I think not only does it help, you know, give you some versatility in the lineup. I mean, obviously Dave kind of covered all that, but 
it also, you know, we don't always know, you know, how the pieces are going to fit together. And obviously DeAndre came off the bench and had a huge role last season and, you know, was basically bigger than a normal six man would be, right? I mean, he was almost a de facto starter coming off the bench just by, you know, how much of an impact he had on games. And um, that didn't, you know, happen right away, but he did have an impact, you know, especially in the ACC portion of the season. But not only does it give you versatility and experience and all the good things that come with that, but it also gives you some insurance in case something goes wrong, right? And and UVA has been, I mean, you can curse out the luck for the DeAndre Hunter situation, and, and that's rightfully so. I mean, I, I understand that. Um, but, I mean, they haven't had a, a major in-season injury since when? I mean, since Justin Anderson. Yeah, Justin, I was say the yeah. appendectomy. Yeah. Slash yeah. broken finger. Finger break. Yeah, I mean, they've had a few scares, but I mean, like, they haven't had anything that's really sidelined somebody for, like, a really long portion of the season since that. And in that, I think that was only, like, eight games or seven games or something. Um, you know, Braxton, if, if somebody goes down, somebody can't play for whatever reason or they're struggling, I mean, he can step in and you don't really miss it. You, you wouldn't miss nearly as much. Imagine what would happen to the team if if he wasn't there and that happened, right? I mean, you would have Marco Anthony starting, and no, no offense to Marco Anthony, I think he's going to be a good player, but, I mean, he doesn't have that level of experience. Braxton Key has played in big-time college basketball games. He's played in NCAA tournaments. Um, he knows, you know, and I think he, he can play multiple positions. So I think, you know, he if nothing else, you know, he just adds more depth and insurance in case something goes wrong, and, you know, you can play out your games without having to, you know, take a big step back. One thing I do want to talk about is is this is really the only time we're going to talk about it until it, it could potentially become a thing. But think about the roster this year. So we all we all pretty much know that DeAndre Hunter is going to go to the next level after this is over. You're you're obviously losing Jack Salt because he's a senior. Um, you Ty Jerome really showed out at CP3 camp. I don't want to say there's a good chance that he could test the water, but certainly I would say there's a chance, depending on how his season goes, that he could. You could look at. Today's point earlier, Braxton did test the water once. Who's to say that, you know, with the new rules and everything, that he won't do it again? I mean, if he has a really good season and Virginia has a lot of success, some of this won't matter. But, man, the plan was that he sits out this year. He He's basically the de facto replacement for Dre next year and, 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 and everything keeps spinning. You could see a scenario where getting this waiver throws a huge monkey wrench in the succession planning, so to speak, uh, to, to, to coin Bronco's favorite phrase. Um, in terms of what Virginia has built and has coming in, because next year you could be relying on, you know, a lot of dudes who haven't been relied on, not just in terms of like support roles, but like let's say Kafaro, Statman, both redshirt this year, you could have a starting five of what Kihei Clark, Kyle Guy, um, Cody Statman, Mamani Diakite, and and Kafaro or Jay Huff, like that's a very different reality when you don't have key. So I'm look, I'm not trying to say that it is a quote unquote bad thing. Cause that's a horrible take, but it does change the calculus a little bit on what Virginia needs to get into the pipeline. And I think it does sort of, I don't want to say it changes the dynamics of the decision-making um, that they have, you know, when it comes to red shirt decisions and that kind of thing. But it certainly, it certainly, has the potential to put more pressure on dudes that haven't been in pressure situations. Is that fair, Dave? Yeah, and that, that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, you know, and I don't think leaving 
Kyle's name out of the NBA possibility as a sphere either. You know, the, the guy's getting married this summer, which make which does you know maybe he wants to move on to that makes it a little more difficult to go through the NBA process. But let's also not forget you can enter the draft and come back now. Um, so it's probably going to be a, a hairy few months there for Virginia, regardless of what what it ends up. Um, that's why I, I was going to post it on the board, but I saved it for the fo- podcast. Like, it doesn't make much sense for me to redshirt Statman at this point, just because he's going to have to be a role next year. You know, assuming Hunter leaves, and even if Ty and Kyle and Braxton stay, like you're going to need minutes out of Statman. Um, so, I think like you play him this year wherever you can. Um, let him see what he's got to be. Like I, I'm a big fan of any minutes you're playing and, and lob, you know, with the bullets flying um, helps you, you know, especially helps you in that first off season where you're at school the whole time to prepare for the following year where your role increases. So I'd be shocked to see Statman redshirt um, just given, you know, some of the question marks with uh, Frankie and um, Kafaro and, and some others. So I, I think that's the biggest change, but yeah, I mean, it's a little more pressure on this team now to win now, but man, it's just the versatility is what excites me the most. I've been playing around with like 400 different lineups in my head, so I can't wait to see it happen. Um, what do wait? Let's talk about these lineups. Let's let's do let's let's have some lineup conversation. Well, I mean, you'd stick with a guy like Key. I mean, you drop Hunter to the four, you can run Huff at the five, you can run Mommy at the five against small teams. Like when Tech goes super small, you can run Hunter and. You know, you assume that Statman doesn't redshirt. Um, you can run Hunter, Statman, Key, Jerome. You know, there's so many different things you can do. Um, but, you know, even playing around with the lineups like that and just what you can do with them on the court. So if you've got, say, you've got Key, Key and Jerome, for instance, with Hunter playing off, like if Key and Jerome can, you know, if Key can pass into the, the post, like, flip the offense and Jerome's got a guard guarding him and he can drop in the post and key can pull out the three or the four, wherever position he's playing and drop in. Um, that's going to help you when you get run into scoring drops, like we saw against smaller teams. Um, and then when you play zone teams, like, you know, Dre Hunter was, was the ultimate zone buster last year. And then when he was hurt, we you know, banged up or out, we would run tie into the, to the free throw line. Now you got another guy to run in there. So like, it's going to be fun to watch. What do you think, Ferber? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that um, with the guards, you know, they're not – they're versatile in the way that you can – you know, Ty is a big guard and, and Braxton and, and DeAndre. DeAndre's really at forward and Braxton's kind of somewhere in between. So, But I think those guys can all provide a level of versatility that allows you to kind of mix and match the pieces, kind of like Dave said, and, and, and you know, do different things – with guys like if you want to go big for a part of a game you can go big and then you can run a smaller lineup out there but even your smaller lineup isn't that small like you can still compete um even with acc caliber teams i mean yeah i mean do you want to play against every team with a small lineup no but i think that that kind of system can work if it gets you more points and i think that that might be the way that uva has to play this year because you know let's be honest they're not going to get a ton of offense out of jack even though he's going to play a ton of minutes um and and the other guys, uh, you know, in the front court are kind of a, 
you know, I'm question mark at this point. And I think you'll see DeAndre more at the four as well. So um, I'm interested to see how they kind of balance out all the guards. Um, and, you know, we were kind of talking about at one point, maybe Ty going to try to play him down low or something, you know, do some different things with him, you know, maybe use him as a zone buster as well. And they certainly have a lot of versatile pieces. And then, you know, apparently Kihei Clark has been doing well. So I mean, I'm interested to see what he can do, if he can provide kind of a different um aspect that that they kind of you know have been missing i'm not saying like well i guess nigel johnson kind of filled that role but um somebody that can kind of do those things and, and be tenacious on defense and get in the paint and move around and be a pest i think one thing that has really sat on my mind a lot i'm kicking around since the the thing got officially announced was it, all right pre-waiver Right, your small ball lineup would have been Mamadi, Dre, Kyle, Ty, and maybe Kihei, right? But now you're small, you can have two different small ball lineups. Do you need to go small because you have a you you have an ability to sort of stretch the the defense a little bit or do you want to go small because the other team has a small point guard? If those two things aren't necessarily the same, right? You can go small in a different way now. And if you want to to really put pressure, you can play Mamadi at the five. You can have Dre and Key basically ba- bouncing back and forth between the three and four, but depending on who needs what and where. Um, there's just a lot. There's just a lot more that you can do, and that's the that's the versatility thing for me. That just it it screams out um, possibility, and that we 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 know from what what UVA did with Dre last year, that they're willing to think a little bit for, for, you know, a little bit outside the box. They're not willing to give up who they are, but they are willing to try to figure out ways within that to let a guy's versatility really thrive. If anything, because now they have key, they can play Mamadi some more, excuse me, um, Dre more at the four. If Mamadi takes that step forward, this could be a really dangerous closing, like um, closing group. Um, And I think, if they're not the favorites to win the ACC, I, I, I don't know who is. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty good. <laughs> uh, we're going to have to come up with a different term than going small because, you know, when you got 6'8", what is key now? Like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, depending on where you read. Yeah, um, that's kind of what I was getting at is like them yeah. going small isn't really going small. Yeah, like you, you can match up against you know, Duke's starting lineup with your small lineup, um, for height-wise at least. Um, and then, you know, the other recall that – wasn't mentioned is you know you get up against a, a, a team who's who's got one big you bring in huff at the five and all of a sudden you run him out to the three-point line and you're you're posting up key and and hunter against undersized wing players um and, and forcing the other team's five to go out and guard huff like it it's going to be interesting um you know we're talking a lot of offense for a team that you know, Team that spends its time defensively. Um, well, I think and that's, that's the other we, thing. I think that's but I don't think of... we need to talk about the defense. Exactly. No, I, yeah. I, 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 exactly. Like, yeah. I, I do think the one thing you're going to see now is you probably have uh, two, if not three, of the best steel producers that Bennett's had. You know, Justin Anderson, who am I missing? Um, who's still the ball? Like Nigel is pretty good stealing the ball, but you know, Ty's got a pretty good at it. Yeah. My, yeah. That guy. Um, you know, Ty's really good at getting his hand in the lane hunter showed that ability and key shown that ability so now you can create offense out of your defense a little bit more a little more easy so yeah i'm excited i mean i still think 
um, Kihei needs to, you've got to get one, one or two more bench guys to be consistent. Um, so that, I don't think it solves every problem Virginia has. It just, it solves a big problem. Not everyone. Here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to, uh, instead, we're going to skip fifth side of the ball tonight because this has been a really good discussion and I, and I don't want to, um, to make the pod any longer than it has to be. Um, I'm going to read the last ad and then we're, I'm going to come back and ask one question and we're going to dip. Uh, Cats Corner Podcast also brought to you tonight by Ask Landis, a company that's based in Charlottesville that specializes in helping you downsize and declutter. They've served Central Virginia for the past decade. Ask Landis and owner Stephen Landis and Brandon Lloyd have helped folks all over the region clear things out from their homes and their businesses, as well as helping to provide a turnkey solution that helps folks get from point A to point B. So maybe that you've got a business or a home that you need to clean out, or maybe you've got a loved one who's about to move. Um, Give them a call and let them do all that work for you. You, you don't want to do this yourself. You definitely want to lean on some pros. Give the folks at Ask Landis a call today for your free consultation. You can hit them up at 434-249-8383, or you can visit their website, asklandis.com, for more. Our thanks again to Ask Landis for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com. Last question of the evening. We're not, we're not ready for the preseason prediction podcast that we do for basketball, um, which I would guess some week we're going to have to double up, probably be next week. Um, but I am curious, as you look forward, what is success? And I don't, want, don't, don't give me long soliloquies here. Give me just a, a sort of brass tack sort of answer. For success for Virginia basketball this season is, what do you think, Ferber? What, what is your definition of success for this team this year? Um. It kind of goes against what I normally say about postseason, but uh, you have to make it to at least the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. Okay. I, I, th- I don't think it's more complicated than that. And I always I, I try not to say that because I think a lot of this thing, you know, everybody's like, this team's going to go to the Final Four and this team's going to go. And then the matchups come out and you look at it and you say, oh, man, like that's that's a bad matchup for them or that's a tough road they have to go on or, ooh, they're playing this team in basically a road environment, you know. Everybody loved UVA last year, and then they got drawn with Arizona, and everybody picked against them. So, I mean, that's the way it goes. But I think that Sweet 16 are bust, and probably – I think they can go deeper than that. But, you know, I'll, I'll just set it there. What do you think, Dave? I mean, I, I think it's different. For me, um, I think there's two levels <laughs> two levels of success. Um, there's success defined by people outside the program who aren't fans. Like, for that, it's, it's going to take a – probably more than a second weekend it's probably going to take an elite eight um you know which is tech second weekend but you know more than just making it to the sweet 16 yeah, it just depends on where they're seated i mean yeah, if they're exactly. one seat again then yeah they probably have to go deeper than that but the big thing i mean getting through that first game like the monkey off their back for that is going to be big um for me like i just want to see i do think this is one of the more talented teams tony's going to have um I'm kind of up in the air if it's more talent than last year. It's not proven yet. At the end of the year, it could be. Um, but I think the ACC is really good this year. So I don't want the team to take a step back. So top three or four in the ACC, um, preferably winning it, making a little run in the ACC tourney. And then, you know, as Justin said, I mean, we can beat around the bush and say it doesn't matter all at once. Um, going back to what I said earlier, like I'm so happy to be with the program. Like we're not even talking, hey, you think they're going to make the tournament. Um, that's not for question, but for me, I, I'd say elite eight. Um, I don't need it personally, but I think the program needs it. Yeah. I think, I think that what we have to sort of look at is 
success for Virginia at this point is not just winning in the ACC. I think we all understand that. But I do think that you can say that they can have a successful season that includes one without the other. Like if they were third or fourth best in the ACC and then went to a Final Four, nobody cares. And realistically, a lot of the stuff that they take, you know, the hits that they take are because they've only had regular season success. It's 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 always funny to me how like sketchy memory people forget like they act like the ACC tournament's not the postseason. Um, but at the same time, I do think success for this team this year is going to be more than just getting to the Elite Eight. I, I, I do think because of the, the key waiver, I do think a lot of pressure is is put on this group even more so than was already there. And I do think that they, because of the way last season ended, because, because they, have to, they have to sort of just envelop it, right? They just sort of have to take it on whether they like it or not. That actually, I think, is going to help them. I, I do think Final Four is success for this team. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like anything that happens before the NCAA tournament doesn't matter. But at the same time, like, that's sort of where the thing is. You, know, you, can only, you can only do but so much before you take that next step that matters. Like At some level, like everybody accepts, okay, yes, you're one of the best teams in the ACC. It's a packed league. You're usually really good at it. Like, you can't keep having success if success is defined as basically the same thing over and over. You, you see what I mean? Like you sometimes have to figure out a way to step forward. Um, that's not to say that, you know, if they went to a final four, then every team has to go to the final four. I'm just saying that for this team this year with the makeup of this squad, given what happened last year, I, I do think that, that that's something that probably has to happen for them to have a successful year. And I'm curious as this thing goes forward, if that will be a thought, pro, that will be a feeling that sticks around or if that's just, you know, one bearded dude rambling on a podcast. You know what I mean? Um, anything else before we uh, hang it up? Wow. You I guys, think that's it. Guys, we're RIP, RIP, RIP Raycom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This could be our last Raycom football oh, game. Oh, no. <laughs> Cyborgs, all of you. Which none of you will see because you'll all be at Scott Stadium, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, want to thank everyone out there for continuing to support the show. Want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time. If you are someone who found the podcast through the website, feel free to give us um, a, a review. Always helps uh, people to find us and find the website. Uh, so that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you might get the show. Feel free to give us a review. Higher the better. Um, I really appreciate it. If you're somebody who found the podcast, haven't gone to the site, give us a look. Lots of words, lots of Virginia stuff. Um, previews and um, columns and not just podcasts but you know video and all that fun stuff too so give us a look at capscorner.com again thanks to david ferber thank you to everybody out there for listening to the show once again for david spence and justin ferber i'm brad franklin publisher of capscorner.com thanks for coming out we'll see you soon